Then Joseph, leaning over his father's face, wept and kissed him. He commanded his servants who were physicians to embalm his father. So they embalmed Israel. They took 40 days to complete this, for embalming takes that long. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning were over, Joseph said to Pharaoh's household, If I found favour with you, please tell Pharaoh that my father made me take an oath, saying, I'm about to die. You must bury me there in the tomb that I made for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go and bury my father, then I will return. So Pharaoh said, Go bury your father in keeping with your oath. Then Joseph went to bury his father, and all Pharaoh's servants, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt went with him, along with all Joseph's household, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their sheep and their cattle were left in the land of Goshen. Horses and chariots went up with him. It was a very impressive procession. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, which is across the Jordan, they lamented and wept loudly, and Joseph mourned seven days for his father. When the Canaanite inhabitants of the land saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a solemn mourning on the part of the Egyptians. Therefore the place is named Abel Mizraim. It is across the Jordan. So Jacob's sons did for him what he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him at the cave in Machpelah in the field near Mamre, which Abraham had purchased as a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After Joseph buried his father, he returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. And then his brothers also came to him and bowed down before him and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph and his father's household remained in Egypt. Joseph lived 110 years. He saw Ephraim's sons to the third generations. The sons of Manasseh, son, Manasseh's son, Machia, were recognised by Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph died at the age of 110 
They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. I add my welcome to John's and especially to Malcolm and Leanne. Really good to have you two with us today. Well, it's been uh, nine weeks uh, skating through Genesis 12 to 50. And uh, today we come to the last section. Uh, We've only got three chapters to cover today, that's all. Uh, But I'm going to mainly focus on chapter 50 that Kayleen just read for us. But I want us to start off by thinking about just the situation that we're in as Christians. Christians are people who are waiting and waiting and waiting. God has made promises to us about the future. And uh, from the past and in the present, we already enjoy many blessings from God. But the best is yet to come. And that's what God has promised for the future. Here is a quick list of what he has promised. He's promised that Jesus will return. That's the key event that we're waiting for. When Jesus returns, we will all be raised from the dead. There will be a judgment day when God will hold all of us to account And he will put all things right. Justice will be finally and fully done in the world. And all of those who have trusted in Jesus, according to the gospel, will be saved from God's wrath on that day. Even though we're guilty, we've been justified. And so on that day, we will certainly be saved. And we'll take our place in a new creation. God's going to uh, clean up this world completely. Uh, even to the extent of destroying it and bringing about a whole new world where everything will be as it should be, uh, according to God's will from the beginning. We will have new bodies, not this old, decaying, decrepit body, but a brand new body controlled by the Holy Spirit, free from sin, so that we have new hearts, new relationships of love. It's going to be wonderful. There'll be no more death. No more grief, no more crying, no more pain. But we will be with the Lord. He will be with us forever. It is a massive, massive, massive promise, isn't it, that we Christians have. Uh, Here's how the Apostle Paul describes us as Christians. This is what it is to become a Christian. You turned from God to idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is our hope. This is our future. This is what God has promised to us. And so we are waiting, waiting, waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. But waiting can be hard, can't it? I remember sitting with a young man Years ago, before I came here to Janali, a different church, not someone that anyone here knows, as far as I know. Uh, But he was struggling. He was struggling with his sexuality. He was struggling with his mental health. He was struggling at work and with relationships. And he said to me, with tears running down his eyes, he said, Neil, I know about God's promise. But this life is so hard and it feels so long. He was only a young man. He had the rest of his life ahead of him. And he was thinking, how on earth am I going to cope for the rest of my life? He was tempted to give up on God, to give up waiting. 
Maybe you can relate to that man today. Or maybe you've got a different problem. Maybe for you, uh, God's promises seem so big and out there that they just seem well, hard to accept and believe. Uh, how can they be real? I mean, after all, Christians have been waiting for 2,000 years since Jesus came. Maybe you're wondering, are they ever going to happen or are they just some kind of wishful thinking to keep us going? Or maybe you know what God has promised in your head, but it doesn't have a lot of impact in your life. Probably a lot of us are in this camp. Uh, we, our heart and our dreams are for good things, but good things in this world. Things to do with our family and our work and just caring for others, which is a good thing. And our, our life here might be full and good. But we're not really waiting, waiting, longing for those things that God has promised for the world to come. Or maybe, and this is the last category, maybe you're someone who feels the weight of the problems of this world. You watch the news and you pray regularly, Lord Jesus, come. This world is in such a mess. There's so much pain, brokenness. Waiting can be hard. Well, whatever camp you're in, whatever your perspective on God's promises for the future, I want to say that God speaks to us clearly in these closing chapters of Genesis. It's taken us a while to get here, but I wanted to help you feel the weight of the, the need for us to find encouragement to keep waiting, because that's what these chapters are here for. They're here to help God's people keep trusting the promises of God even years into the future. See, just think about the situation here for the, God's ancient people, Israel. In some ways, they're in the same situation that we're in, or at least the next generation of after Jacob and Joseph uh, are very much in that sense, waiting, waiting, waiting. Israel had to wait. They had to wait 400 years until God would come again and rescue them from Egypt and take them as a nation back to the promised land. But at this point, at this point, what do they have? Well, they're not in the land of Canaan where God promised that they would be. They're in Egypt. They're not yet a great nation. They're only about 70 people. Uh, they haven't yet multiplied to become a great nation. The only bit of the promised land that they own is a burial plot, a cemetery that Abraham bought uh, to bury Sarah, and he himself was buried there as well. And uh, although they have uh, received blessings and seen the blessings of God and been a blessing to others to some extent, Jacob himself says that my life has been full of trouble and strife. And now... Jacob dies. Joseph, the great saviour that God raised up for his people, dies. And the book comes to an end. It's the end of an era, the end of the, the story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their 12 sons, including Joseph. But the promises haven't been fulfilled yet, have they? Not fully. The people after them will have to wait. And so the question at the end of this book is, well, what now? Is this the end of God's promises? 
Can the people in Egypt still live in hope that one day God will do an amazing thing and rescue them from the promised land? Well, the answer is, not surprisingly, yes. Yes, they can. It'll be 400 years before it happens, but God's promises still stand. Now, the last bit that we've uh, come to this morning is three chapters of Genesis, 48 to 50. Chapters 48 and 49, we've got Jacob's last words on his deathbed to his family. And then chapter 50 that Kayleen read, where we get three powerful pictures uh, that I think are designed to help future generations to wait well, to trust God's promises and live in hope. So let's look firstly, very briefly, at Jacob's last words. There's lots of gems in here, but uh, I really only want to show you one thing. Jacob goes to his death with the promise of God on his heart, looking to the future. Uh, so here he is, uh, the beginning of chapter 48. Uh, if you've got a Bible there, flip back and you'll see that Joseph gets the news that no one wants to hear, that his father is very weak, he's approaching death. Verse 2, Jacob summons up the strength you can, you can picture him there in his bed and then his son and his grandsons come to him and he summons the strength to sit up and talk to them. And the first thing he says reveals to us what's on his heart. Here it is. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous I will make many nations come from you and I will give this land as an eternal possession to your future descendants. Not now, but in the future. It's the same promise that God gave to Abraham, to Isaac, and now he's also given to Jacob. And Jacob goes to his death dwelling on this promise. But as he does, he doesn't just look back. He does look back and thank God for the blessings that he's enjoyed But his focus is on the future because this has gripped his heart, this promise of God. Uh, This is what he says later on to Joseph. He said, look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. He trusts in God's promise. He's looking forward to the future. He adopts Joseph's two sons as his own so that they'll share in the future. Then in chapter 49, he gathers the whole family around and he says something about each of his sons. It's very interesting reading. It's going to be a messy time for the family. There's a few bright spots as well. But I think the brightest spot is in verse 18, an almost kind of uh, an insertion into the middle of Joseph, of Jacob speaking about his sons. This is what he says. I wait for your salvation, Lord. Jacob was waiting. Even at his deathbed, he was waiting. I love this line. He doesn't have long to live, but he says, I will wait. And then at the very end of the chapter, he says, "Uh, when I die, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take my body and bury it in the burial plot back in the promised land. Now, that was a big request because it was 700 kilometres back to the promised land. It wouldn't have been easy for them to do that. But he was very specific. Uh, He thought, this is where the future of our people are, my family, my descendants, God's promise. Take me there. That's where I want to lie in death. Now, that's, that's the way to die, isn't it? 
He has God's promise on his heart. He's not just looking back with despair at the hard times he's had. He's not even just reminiscing about the good times that he's had. He is looking forward to bigger and better things that God is going to do in the future. And he lines up his sons to kind of uh, take him there uh, so that he can lie in there. You see, God's time scale is bigger than ours. Our temptation is to think that life is about our time here on earth. We're born, we live, how long? 70, 80, 90, 100 years if we're blessed, and then we die. And so often our focus is on what happens in this life. Our dreams, our hopes are for the future of this life. The only problem is that the time gets shorter and shorter, doesn't it? And then we start looking back, thinking about the good times of the past. But Jacob has a totally different perspective. He sees that God is working on a much bigger time frame than us in our life in this world. And so he looks to the promises of God and he looks beyond his own life to see what God will do. I think this is the way to die. God will do what he has promised, whether it happens in our lifetimes or not. And we can go to our graves with confidence that God will keep his promises. Are you blessed with the same kind of confidence that Jacob had? We need to lift our horizons from this world to see the big picture of what God is doing through all time. And I think that's what uh, these two chapters help us to do as Jacob's la- in Jacob's last words. But we've also got three powerful pictures in chapter 50. And I think these come to help us to keep seeing that big picture and to keep waiting and hoping and longing as we should. The three pictures all start with B. I don't know how it happens like that. That's how God's arranged it in the Bible. The burial, the brothers and the bones. That's how I'm summarising them anyway. So we'll start with the burial. I've got a picture there of, uh, this is from the Queen's funeral last year. As I started thinking about burial processions, uh, that's where my mind went to. Uh, massive procession with all the pomp and ceremony. I think the Queen's uh, burial was pretty impressive, but it was nothing compared to Jacob's burial. And that is amazing because Jacob wasn't a queen or a king of an empire. He was a nomad. Uh, he was, uh, had lived a life full of trouble and strife, and now he's not even in his own homeland. He's down in Egypt. But yet he has this amazing procession back up to his promised land. All the resources of Egypt uh, are put into it, a state funeral. They mourn. The whole nation of Egypt mourns for 70 days. And they carry him with chariots and horses 700 kilometres with all the elders of Israel and all the elders of Pharaoh's house all the way up to bury them. And even the local Canaanites say, whoa, this is amazing. This is some kind of mourning that's happening here. Uh, What do we make of this uh, amazing burial. Well, I think that uh, this is a testimony to God's promises to Jacob, the -the over-the-top faithfulness to his promises. Back in chapter 46, as Jacob was coming down from the promised land to Egypt, God said to him, Jacob, don't be worried about leaving the promised land because I'm going to bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes and then I will bring you back. And that's what we see happening here. God keeping his promise to Jacob. And uh, I think also 
there's another element to this to help people later on. Not only were the, the, see, the people later on could remember this and remember God is faithful. It's been a big theme through the whole book, hasn't it? God is faithful in this burial. But also, what are we seeing here? We're seeing a, a, a rescue in an amazing way of Jacob, whose name is Israel, from Egypt up and across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Exactly what God has promised to do for the nation of Israel later on. And so as they're waiting for this to happen, they can look back and say, see what God did for Jacob. That's what he's promised to do for the nation that we're part of now. God is faithful. We can trust him to do spectacular things. Things that you would say, if you were predicting the future, would not happen. But God is faithful and he does things that are bigger and better than what we might ever expect that he can do. Even to raise all of us from the dead and to bring about a new creation. God can do that. He will do that. He is faithful. And as we look at this burial, this is a picture to remind us of those great truths. Now we've got an even bigger picture, haven't we? Because uh, we're not Israel, we're not looking forward to being rescued from Egypt, but we are looking forward to being raised from the dead. And we have seen God's faithfulness in a marvelous way uh, by the in the uh, in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God was faithful in sending him after making promises for hundreds of years, thousands of years even. And, and Jesus eventually came and he paid for our sins and he was buried and then God raised him from the dead. God is faithful. And God has shown us what he will do for us. He's paved the way by Jesus being raised so that we will know that he is our pioneer and we too will be raised. God can do it. He is faithful. Second powerful picture, the brothers. These brothers, uh, we've been following their progress and uh, we, we, had some high, we had some positive news last time that they'd been changed somewhat. But here, uh, we've got another sad situation where they get back to their old habits. Uh, they, after they've buried their father, they're a bit worried. They're scared that now Joseph's going to turn on them and he's going to punish them for what they did to him, sending him into slavery. And so they come up with a plan. They send a message. Joseph, before he died, Dad said that you should forgive us. That's, the, that's basically what the message is. And uh, we don't know anywhere that uh, Jacob said that. And Joseph's response is, see it there in verse 17? He wept. Why do you think Joseph wept when he received this message? Could be because it reminded uh, him of their father. That would be a natural human response, but I think it's more than that. It could be that he wept because he sees that they still, their hearts are still deceptive. They've still got that kind of family trait that was way back from um, especially Jacob and then the brothers deceiving Jacob about Joseph and that's just what they've always done and they haven't really been properly changed. I think the reason is because they haven't got it yet. Joseph forgave them already, didn't he? We saw that last week. He's been gracious to them. He's not holding a grudge against them. And uh, Joseph weeps because they still don't know that. 
And this can be a big barrier for waiting confidently for the future. If you think that at the end, when Jesus returns, maybe he's going to get you back for the things that you've done, you may not be very excited to be waiting for him. But Joseph says to these brothers, brothers, don't be afraid. He says it twice. Don't be afraid. Uh, He says, verse 19. I don't think I might have verse 19. No, I don't. God is gracious. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. That's what we've seen over the last few weeks. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Here is the ruler that God has appointed to save them, speaking kindly to these people who had sold him into slavery. Do you see the grace of God in his ruler, Joseph, in the way that he treats these these brothers? And friends, we have an even greater ruler who's shown even more grace as part of our rebellion against God, he came and took the punishment for us. He suffered instead of us. Evil people put him to death and we had a part in it. But God meant it for good, didn't he? To bring about the salvation of many people who will turn to him and trust in him. And what kind of king is he? Well, he's a king who speaks kindly to us, who cares for us and our little ones. He is the gracious God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to be afraid of the future because God is gracious and because he's in full control to work out all things for our good. If you're a Christian, he's not your enemy. He's your saviour. You are his friend. Don't be afraid as you look to the future. What a powerful picture this is. And lastly, we've got the bones. Joseph comes to the end of his life and uh, he says twice in verse 24 and then in verse 25 that God will certainly come to your aid. Joseph dies like Jacob does, looking to the future, knowing with certainty that what God has promised will happen. But he does something else here. He gives them uh, an ongoing assurance of this. He doesn't ask to be buried back up in the promised land like Jacob was. He says, embalm my bones in the Egyptian way and keep them with you until God comes. Now, I don't know where they uh, would have kept these bones for 400 years, maybe in someone's garage or something. Uh, Maybe there was a museum. Who knows where they kept them? But somehow or other, they kept them for 400 years. And I can imagine that the people dealing with these bones would have been forced then to remember that for, at, way back at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph said, God will certainly come. We can trust him. We need to be ready. One day he's going to come and take us to the promised land. And sure enough... As uh, the Passover night happened and God was rescuing the people, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, 
God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. At the end of the book of Joshua, when they've conquered the land, we're told that they buried his bones in the promised land. And there's one place that Joseph is remembered in the Bible, and that's in the, book, in the New Testament, and that's in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And what's he remembered for? By faith he gave instructions about his bones to be kept until God came. You see, uh, here are the three powerful pictures that God has given for future generations to remember uh, that he will keep his promise. The burial, God is faithful. The brothers, God is gracious. And the bones, God will certainly come. Now I skipped over one thing I was going to say. We don't have a set of bones, do we? Jesus' bones aren't anywhere in some cathedral in Europe or uh, buried in the Middle East or spread around in any secret, secret place in the Vatican or somewhere else. Where are Jesus' bones? They're in heaven, aren't they? Because he was raised from the dead and he has taken his place with God uh, in, uh, in heaven right now. There are no bones of Jesus for us to look at or be reminded of. But Jesus has given us something else physical and tangible to, uh, so that to help us to remember his promise that he's coming back. We're going to share in it this morning. It's the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, isn't it? Jesus said, whenever you eat and drink this meal, remember me that I died for your salvation and rose to secure your forgiveness. But in 1 Corinthians 11, we read that whenever you eat this meal, you proclaim the Lord's death. What does it say? Until he comes, until he comes. This meal doesn't only look back, it also looks forward to that day when Jesus will return and bring to fruition all that has been promised for us. We have this meal, a physical, tangible thing that we can see and touch and taste and spell, just like Joseph's bones, that speak to us of God's faithfulness, his grace and his future promise that he will certainly come. Three powerful pictures. So here's the bottom line for us. We can know with confidence and certainty that God's promises last forever. This is so powerful, isn't it? It's powerful as we face death. We'll all face death. Many of us face death of family members and loved ones. But this is powerful. God has promised resurrection and blessing in the new world. This is powerful. It can make all the difference as we face uh, our last day on this earth and uh, the long wait, buried, cremated, wherever we are, until Jesus returns and raises us again. We can go to our death not in grief, but in grief with hope. Grief, yes, we'll be sad to leave the people we love in this world. We don't need to be scared because God is gracious. He's paid our price and secured our place in his new creation. This is so powerful as we face death. But it's also powerful as we live life. It's not just for when we die. This reality and, uh, impacts so much how we live now. We live with hope. Our horizon is not however many years left we've got in this life. Our dreams, our ambitions, our longings are not just for this world. 
the house we're going to build, the trip we're going to have, what's going to happen with our kids, all good things and things that we manage as we go through this short life. But as Christians, we've got something much bigger and better, haven't we, to look forward to? The new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness, where we're going to spend eternity. This life is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. So if we see this promise and know that it's going to happen, well, it'll totally change our perspective. Our heart and soul and ambitions can be lifted and set free from the limitations of this life to something that will last for all eternity. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, life is hard for my friend who had the tears running down his face. Certainly for some of us, life can feel in this world very long. God doesn't promise that he's going to make our life easy in this world. In fact, exactly the opposite. What we expect is it's going to be full of suffering and pain. But, but, he also promises a wonderful, wonderful future that can give us hope even in the midst of the trials that we face. We can trust in a wonderful future because God is faithful and gracious And he will certainly, certainly come. Brothers and sisters, I say to you, let's lift our sights from this world because it will make all the difference to us as we see the eternal picture, the big picture that Jacob had and Joseph had and these powerful pictures at the end of the book of Genesis help us to trust in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this book of Genesis that speaks to us of your promises and here at the end assures us that your promises last forever. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would lift our horizons from uh, just this world to see the big picture, to see eternity. Help us to keep looking forward so that our present might be transformed so that we will live with faith in your promises and hope for the future that brings joy even in the midst of trials. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to encourage one another in these things because it's hard to wait. Please help us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.